Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Joel Madden, and this is Artist Friendly. On this episode, I'm talking with Academy Award winning hip hop legend, multi platinum artist, and producer from 3 Six Mafia, DJ Paul. Let's go. I don't want no bad times. I don't want to have bad. You look healthy, and I always kind of know at our age, because we're in our 40s. Yeah. Like when someone looks healthy. You and your 40s. You're, you're 34. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I stopped aging a long time ago, man. I don't even aging. know what age I am. But like I can always tell when someone takes care of themselves. Because yeah. at our age, I think like you start to see people age yeah, oh, yeah. faster and faster and faster. And usually it has everything to do with like drinking and food yeah. and all the all the stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh and then I but I also think music keeps us young, maybe. Yeah, it does. And forties the new thirty anyways. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. And fifties the new forties. That's right. You remember back in the day we thought fifty was old. And it's not. It's not at all. If somebody died when somebody died in their fifties on social media, people have a heart attack. Like, oh my God, he was so young. I'm like, really? I'm like he was a half a hundred years old. When I was a kid, that was old. Yeah. But actually, even like 70s is younger than it used to. Like, yeah. like 70 must be the new 60. Yeah, it is. Because my father-in-law is like 73 and he's he's got more energy than me. He tours like he must do like a hundred and some. I mean, he does more shows with, definitely than I do. I'm glad you brought that up too. I want to talk to you about that. Please. We brothers, right? Yes. Family. Yeah. So why I why haven't I met my father-in-law, man? I want to party all night long, man. Friday night. Yeah. He's playing at the forum. Forum, really? Yeah. Damn, I ain't gonna be here. You going? Oh yeah, I'm going for sure. We're going. It's Pop Pop, man. Pop Pop plays, we all go. Oh, okay. Well, the next time I'm going with Pop Pop and y'all. That's what we call him. We call him Pop Pop. Yeah. And I went and saw him in Vegas. Probably about two years you ago. You saw the Vegas show? Yeah, a year it's good. Ago, I saw it. Yeah. yeah. I saw that too. It's yeah, great. It was good. Man, no one does it like Lionel does it. Yeah, I was the youngest person in there. And That's I'm not crazy. even young. You're pretty young, man. Yeah, but I was the youngest person in there. I feel like a kid. It's it's uh it's pretty crazy how good he is. Yeah, he's the best. Legend. Legend, man. Well, come for Thanksgiving then. Now you're talking. Yeah. Now you're talking. If, if I'm you, now. Are you, are, do you ever spend things? I mean, do you go to Memphis sometimes? No, stay in no, LA? no, no, no. I don't really have no family in Memphis like that no more. Okay. Yeah, That's I tell my I Thanksgiving's Maryland. out here. I actually got some family friends from Memphis uh, that uh, that live out here. I do I do Thanksgiving at their house a lot. Well, if you want to come to my house. No, no, I'm coming. I would love that. I'm coming. I'm serious. I'm coming. Serious. I'm seriously coming. Okay. I'm bringing all my Commodores records, all my Lionel Richard. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Bring them all. I ain't going to come in and fan out, even I, though I will be. But actually, Lionel would actually be down with that, and he's likely a fan of yours, too. So you guys would have a good- Yeah, good just people. tell him I won the Oscar. Usually break the ice with- We're both- You, you guys are both like Oscar that. holders. Uh, he won an Oscar, too? Yeah, he won an wow. Oscar. He well, got you know nominated- he got nominated. I think he got nominated twice or three times. I'm sure he been nominated two or three, times, three times, and he won once. You know what it was for? I don't remember. I I don't want. I I don't think it was "Endless Love." I think it was another song. Um, God, he's got so many classic songs. That's dope. He got it out at the house. He's got. A, you know, he's super classy. So he has this like library, and his he his awards are in there on the shelves. I mean, it's pretty magnificent because he's got so many awards. Yeah, I mean, so many. Grammys, 
Oscars, all kinds of achievement awards. Yeah. He was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, all that stuff. So he's got tons of awards. I love that room. Uh, he's super humble about it. I love to go in that room. Do he got his plaques up? Uh, he does not have his plaques up. I know there's no, a lot he, of people don't have their plaques up. He does have his plaques up in, in his, his house? studio. In his studio. He has a studio at the house, an um, insane, beautiful recording studio. Yeah, I can imagine. And there's plaques in, 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 yeah, in yeah. the hallways when you go to the studio. It's pretty cool. It's used, pretty special. I used to have my plaques up for the longest I didn't have my plaques up. And I did this show called Celebrity Wife Swap. And they was like- How uh, is that? It was fun, actually. I, that's all, that's cool. Yeah, I turned it down for like three years until they told me how much they was going to give me. Right. And then I was like, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I'll swap my wife. Yeah, I'll swap it. So I wasn't even married. I just, it was a girlfriend. But, <laughs> you know, we just, we just, we said, we lied and said we was engaged. I mean, yeah. but for hundreds of thousands, man, you can Why be not? engaged. Yeah. So um, I did Celebrity Wife Swap, and they was like, Paul, why you don't have any of your plaques on the wall? And I was like, well, I always live by this old saying that says that there's like, um, if you don't see your achievements, you'll keep trying to achieve them. Yeah. You know, so that's how I used to look at things. But now I got them up in the living room. There you go. <laughs> well, I think that you, I think there is something to that. I don't have my plaques up at my house, uh, probably though, because my wife grew up in a house full of plaques and she was like, I don't want to see these plaques anymore. Yeah, I'm sick um, of this. But now we have them up here at the at the office in yeah. the studio. So yeah, you I still have to, somewhere. Yeah, I still get to see them. Um, but I also think that we have to celebrate our achievements yeah. in a way, some kind of way. Not, you know, I think I don't think the thing about musicians is I don't think we walk in the room with all of our achievements. Like our resumes can be pretty impressive. If there were a degree to give, you would be the highest level of doctor or lawyer, you would have the highest business degree. If there was if there was degrees being given out for your experience in this business, mm -hmm. there's no one more experienced than you. The highs, the lows, how does it work? Mm -hmm. the, from the inception of a project or a group or an album or a song mm -hmm. to the execution of it mm -hmm. and then bringing it out to the world. Think about the decades of experience you have yeah. and the success you have. It's not like it's been written down into a resume and or you've been given a doctorate for it, and, but you have one. Yeah, yeah. And so sometimes those plaques remind us of what we know so that we don't forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because every now and then some new expert in the music business that's, that's had a, a current hit or they've been a part of a group of people, because ultimately this entire business was built on the backs of great artists. Yeah, yeah, yeah with good teams of people who are smart and hardworking, right? It all works together. But sometimes artists can be talked out of instinct and experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it can be wrong. Yeah, that's for sure. So those plaques kind of remind you of like who you really are and what you've achieved is you can't undo that. Now my Oscar, that's a different story. Now I don't have that out. It's tucked away in a safe in a crown royal bag. I love that. You remember the Crown Royal bag? Yeah, bags? of course, the Purple Crown Royal bag. I'm, yeah, that was we kept everything in those as a kid. Yeah, you the, get, the money. That was that was that was the save. That was the piggy bank. Any good packaging that came with anything, <laughs> you would keep. Yeah, a good shoebox. Yeah, you're keeping it. Yeah, you kept them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the Oscars in a Crown Royal bag. Why do you think we always keep stuff? My wife know, always man. asks me like, why do you keep all the bags and all the I don't know the packaging? Like when it's nice, I keep it. Yeah, me too. I like, love the. Package. If you buy a pair of like 
Prada shoes or something, the shoe bags, I keep them. I keep yeah. all of them. Yeah, but they start, they starting to get cheap. They used to give you two shoe bags. Yeah. Now they're starting to give you one. Yeah. And I ain't just talking about Prada. I'm talking about Louis Vuitton, all these motherfuckers. One bag, man. Pay $1,000 for shoes and you give me one bag to throw them in there together to get scuffed up through TSA? No. It's more two bags. It's all about their margins. Yeah. If we can get away slowly with replacing two bags with one, yeah. save, maybe we make the one bag a little bigger. They made it a little big. Yeah. And then we save you know, a couple bucks across the yeah. entire- Man, they save a lot of money. They probably save hundreds of thousands of dollars. Margins. If I need two bags. Look how big these shoes is, man. Like yachts. I can't put these shoes in one bag. I couldn't they put these shoes in one grocery bag. They look expensive, those shoes. They was. Yeah. I got them in London. Never even seen them in America. Wow. And I was just walking through London. And I was like, oh, wow, some ugly shoes I've never seen in America. I'll take them. Two grand. Whoa. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not, man? In London. Yeah, it's so. nice, though, every now and then to spend some money. Yeah. Yeah, remind you. Yeah. Always, I always struggled with spending money until I didn't. Yeah. But you know, growing up with not without having money, I think you had to, I had to learn how to find the balance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. I didn't grow up super, super poor. We didn't grow up in a nice, nice neighborhood, but we grew up in like a mill. First, we was in a hood, hood. Right. And then my daddy worked for another company, and then he took the knowledge from that company. He worked for Terminex. He took the knowledge from that company and opened up his own pest control company. Oh wow! And then we moved into the middle class neighborhood. So he was a hardworking guy. Yeah, he's super hardworking. Yeah. My daddy owned companies. He owned homes. That's why now I own a lot of properties because I saw my daddy doing that growing up. You know, he, he owned a lot of properties. He would buy homes and rent them out for extra residual income. So that's what I do now. I figured you were up to something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, man, I love homes. I love decorating homes. I love working on homes. I'm working on one right now, and I, I love it. You just buy them and renovate them? Buy them, renovate them if they need it. And, flip them uh, or rent them out? I never flip them. Oh, you? I always rent them out. That's smart. When you flip them, you got to play the, you got to pay the um, capital gains yeah, and yeah. all that yeah. if it's within two years. And, and short term, it really doesn't make sense. Long term, you could sit on a property for 10, 12, 15, Yeah, if you're going to do years, that, yeah, then better. you can make some serious money. Then but you if you're going to buy it and then turn around and flip it, then you got to pay all these taxes and the capital gains and all that, it just don't make no sense to me, especially out here, you know, out here because the property values go up so much. Yeah. You you, just to get in the market out here and stay is the smartest thing you can do. Yeah. It's because it gets harder and harder for people to get in the market out here. Yeah, yeah. And I, I made some mistakes. I made some so mistakes. So did I. Sold stuff too early. Yeah. Wasn't well, really thinking. Don't ever, what, don't, what, if you don't want to kill yourself, don't ever go on Zillow and look at old homes you sold in California. Yeah. You'll kill, you'll kill yourself. Yeah. I saw where some people just made a million dollars off a house I had in Tarzana. I said, what? And Tarzana? Like, damn it. <laughs> There's also something about a portfolio of real estate that is to me, like a real pride of ownership yeah. like uh, over the years because the years go by and then you go you get 10 years behind you 15 years behind you and if you keep just buying one thing at a time that you can afford rent it out forget about it yeah. let someone else pay yeah and don't even think about it before no you turn around you have this portfolio and i think that's pro i don't know i think that's probably one of the best things you can do with money Man, it is the best thing you could do with money because, you know, like the saying goes is 
God's not, you know, making no more land. Yeah. So if you could buy some more land, uh, I mean, if you could buy some land, because a guy told me this a long time ago, a business manager that I had, an uh, Indian guy named Harish back in like 2001. And, uh, you know, he was he was just breaking it down to me on like the percentage that banks pay you on your money. So say for instance, you got some money in the bank and the, the, the bank is paying you 2% on your money. Yep. This and that. But if you can put it in a property and you can make more than that, I would rather have mine in a property than in, than in a bank and in a in a physical brick and mortar property because you know like it's, it gains in so many ways. Your money is actually gaining by being in it. The property is gaining value. You rent it out. You let somebody else pay for it. And uh, it's just so many ways you can make money with that. And then the biggest key to it. Is like when we die, we can't leave our talents to our kids. They right. might get some of it. They might don't. My son know how to make beats and sing and all that shit. He don't want to do none of that shit. But how old is he? He's uh, twenty seven. Okay. Yeah, he's grown man. He yeah. don't want to do music though. Right. Uh, but these properties you can leave to your kids. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and they can live the rest of their life not not even having to work if they don't want to. Hopefully, they still will. Yeah. But you can leave property. So there's so many values into owning properties versus your money just sitting in a bank and letting them use your money to buy other people's property and charge them again of the same money. I I feel the same way. I know some people are like, you know, I, I want my kids to earn everything that they have. I want my kids to earn too. Yeah. I want them to yeah, work and build their own lives. But I also want to give them yeah. whatever I can. Yeah, of course. And hopefully we have a relationship where they respect I real I hope I'm close enough with my kids where they respect all the hard work that I did. Yeah. While I could do it. It's more than just the value of the thing I give them it's or leave them. It's the idea of it. It's the legacy of it and it's less about it's less of a money thing, more of an emotional appreciation for like what my dad did. It feels like you you love your dad. It feels like you guys Feels like you you looked up to him and yeah, you, of course. I mean, work wise, it feels like you mirrored, I modeled did. what how he worked. I did because Three Six Mafia, you guys worked your ass off. Yeah, still do to this and day. Still do, still do, still do, man. And it's interesting because it's almost like if I wasn't doing this, I would be, I would have a paint business or I would have uh, a, some kind of business where I work just as hard. Yeah, exactly. this just happened to be my trade. Yeah, music. Yeah, exactly. But I always approached it like it was a business. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was working as hard as I, you know, my dad worked really hard. I always had two jobs. Uh, it didn't reach the levels of success I think that uh, where he, you know, it sounds to me like your dad really figured it out and he continued to build momentum and, and gain. Yeah. Um, but the only way you do that is getting up every single day, whether you want to or not, yeah. punching in and going to work and putting in eight, 10, 12 hours, whatever, however many hours the day called for, for you to get the work done. That's what I saw my dad do. And that's how I always approached my career and still do to this day. Yeah. You have to, because you know, like people always think that the music business is so easy, especially rap. Yeah. You know, especially rap. Like singing, that's a different thing because everybody can't sing. Just like everybody can't rap, but everybody can attempt to rap because it's just putting words together, you know what I'm saying? And shit, there's a bunch of apps that do that for you these days. But people think rap is so easy, you know, they look and they see the 
cars and the girls and the videos, not knowing that the label paid for that shit, renting it and whatnot. But <laughs> on the outside looking in, it just looks so easy. And you just be like, man, I can do that. You know what I'm saying? But it's really, it's, it's a lot of hard work, especially the way that we did it, you know, with Three Six Mafia, because our sound was so different. Didn't nobody want to give us a record deal. You know, yeah. we was talking about doing cocaine and beating up people and robbing and all this crazy shit. And uh, people didn't want to give us a record deal, so we had to work extra harder to put our own money behind it and, you know, find our own photographers and do our own, you know, clothes and everything ourselves and put it out and walk up and down. I'd never forget me and Juice was walking up and down Bourbon Street and, and, uh, and Canal Drive and all that in New Orleans. Back in like 1994, passing out uh, flowers that we had made at Kinko's. Yep. And man, it was so hot. We had these black and red 3-6 Mafia shirts on. They were sticking to our backs. Yep. <laughs> People was throwing that shit down. I'm like, hey man, we got an album coming. I'm like, what? <laughs> they were throwing that shit down. And, and that's before social media, before you could promote things and distribute things digitally. In the push of a button. You had to go out and find the crowds of people. Yeah, you had to find you had to find somebody to press up all this shit, man. It was a lot of work. So you know, like a lot of people think it's easy, but it's not easy at all. I mean, I think great artists, talented people, charismatic people can make it look easy. Yeah. Uh, therefore, it can be misinterpreted. Also, I think music as an industry and as a resource gets dismissed. As as not hard, yeah. not important. Yeah. But culturally, if you think about in hip hop, which you know we just celebrated fifty years, right? Yeah. Culturally, the most important music of the last fifty years, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's if you look at the influence on pop culture, on brand, on marketing, and all the the industries that have come out of and have relied on hip hop, it's easily got to be a trillion dollars worth of of value yeah. in relationship to that culture. Yeah. And so that being said, really talented people, gifted people make very complicated and hard things uh, look easy. A, a great ball player makes it look easy. Yeah. So when we watch, it looks easy. Therefore, we can sit on the couch and criticize because it, it looks like, oh, that's just how it should. But to, no one can do it at that level. You guys are a perfect example of doing something at a high level, but making it look easy, making it look fun. It's mm -hmm. not fun most of the time when you're in the hard work part. It's not as fun as people think, but when you're yeah. good at it, it makes it, you make it look kind of easy and fun. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting. That's what it's about because you got to treat it. You can't treat it as a job. Yeah. You know, we got the best job, one of the best jobs in the world. I would say we got the best job in the world. I think so. You know, even over actors. Yeah, you know, I think so. Actors have to sit up, you know, and wait on somebody to give them a role and yeah. and cast them in something and write it and this and that. We can sit in this room fucking right now, grab that guitar and take these mics and record some shit and put it out in the same day. Generate uh, all kinds of, and that that's the interesting thing is it's a, it's, it's a generative industry. Like we- we can make a song, put it out the next day, and then there are suddenly there's value where there wasn't. Yeah. Suddenly there's money where there wasn't. Yeah. Suddenly there's jobs where there wasn't. Yeah. And every day somewhere in the world, a kid is picking up 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 an instrument or getting on their computer and making a beat. You can't stop the creators from finding 
the a way to create. Yeah. And then they're going to put it out and then suddenly something is is valuable and everyone's and that's the interesting thing too is with with that comes a great uh kind of complicated problem is the non-creators who tend to be people who can or who are very talented at other things when it's the right person it's a brilliant thing when it's the wrong person it can be a really tragic experience for the artist oh my god yes you know what i mean yeah it's such a weird set of variables in the music business for who who has what kind of experience based on like the characters that they that they come in contact with yeah and one thing that i learned in the music business is that it's it's like you were just saying it's it's certain people that's good at certain things and it's about finding what you are good at because everybody shouldn't be the 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 rapper everybody shouldn't be the beat maker you yeah. know like somebody should be the the marketing guy or the you know whatever whatever but one thing that I found in my years is some of the people that I found to be the best person to help out an artist, like say for instance, manage an artist, mm -hmm. uh, uh, is a person that was a terrible artist. Yeah. A terrible artist. I know a lot of guys like that that was terrible artists, but they had the drive and they knew where to go get the headshots made and where to do this and where to get this pressed and where to get a pair of panties with your logo on it, anything you can name. They yeah. knew how to do all that, and they had all that shit just sitting up in their house that they didn't sell none of it because they had terrible music. But they will find somebody that don't have the means, don't have no money, but got all of the talent, and they can get behind that person, and them two together can build an empire. And I have saw it happen. I'm not going to throw no names out there. We've all, we all know some of these people. And I saw it with my own eyes, and I was like, wow. I think sports is a great metaphor for like players who were okay, but then they were great coaches. They became great coaches. And some, when you look at a lot of coaches that were decent players, or maybe some of them were even great players, I think there's like a metaphor for that. I do think that like that guy you're talking about, that character that tried to make it as an artist, didn't quite get there. Maybe he got a record deal. He got enough experience to understand the business. But then also I think the pain of failure. I think we all have some artistic streak in us and, and a lot of these uh, music industry people who who tried to make it as artists and didn't, um, they still understand like, they, they do end up sometimes being the best because they understand like the artists struggle. Mm -hmm. And like, cause we're, we fail more than we win. Like more mm -hmm. of our songs are not hits than our hits. Yeah, of course. Right? Like, yeah. You make an album with 10 songs and you got two hot singles or one. Yeah. <laughs> You got nine losers on there. Yeah, I, I, but if we look at the metrics, yeah, and, and for sure we're like we're, we're, we have those songs we love that didn't that didn't make it like the the other songs, and so like we all have the failure experience all mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. I think when you've been in it long enough, you get used to it, and it's not looked at as a failure. It's just you know you you can't control the results, but like I think uh, you have to understand that that the suffering of artists to, to, I think, be able to help them figure their shit out. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it works, man. You know, like, yeah, shout out to all those managers out there that couldn't make it as artists, man. But <laughs> yes. you had a point, you had a purpose in life. You did have a purpose. And some of them yeah. great managers out there, you right. know, and it is a certain type of person in the music business that found their way in, you know, and, and uh, made a career out of it.
you guys have a there's something about you guys that has always been different and i've i've been around plenty of enough people um and there there is kind of a generosity you guys have you've always been nice you're serious guys mm-hmm. but you've always been inviting nice cool mm-hmm. and it feels to me like as long as I've been a fan, before I knew you, I was a fan. And mm-hmm. then we and then we met. I forget when we met, but we met. How long ago did we? We met a long time ago. Well, when you was coming over our house, that was 2006. Yes. That was 2006. Ah, dude, that's a long time ago. That's like 16 years ago. Bro. Yeah. A long time And I was ago. a fan before that, so I was excited, obviously. And then to come in and get to meet you guys was, as a fan, was cool. As an artist, it was cool because we got to collaborate. Um but there's a through line, I think, with how you guys carry yourselves over the span of your entire career mm-hmm. it's to, to this day. Yeah. There's something about it that lets us all participate. There's something about like the approachability mm-hmm. that I think like as a fan, I think there's just something and I and I wonder if it's like if it's if it's just like a value system or if it's or if it's just you guys who are just cool dudes. We used to teach this to our artists, you know, because we had some artists with us that wasn't approachable. Right. And, uh, you know, they didn't. And I, I used to always tell them, I'd be like, look, you know, like these these fans that you don't want to take a picture with or you don't want to sign an autograph for are the people that's paying our bills. You know, you got to treat the fans good, you know, because at the end of the day, you're nothing without them. Yeah. You know, so like that's, that's why I can't, you know, I can't speak for Juicy. Obviously, he's a cool dude, but... One thing about me is just like my mama just always, you know, taught me how, uh, you know, how to treat people, how to treat women, how to treat, you know, men, this and that, and uh, just people in general. And, uh, you know, and, and then coming from the South, that has a lot to do with it too. Yeah. Especially, you know, the Mid-South, where we from, Southern hospitality. So, like in Memphis, it's a lot of people like that that's like really, you know, really tough, really gangster, you know what I'm saying? But- Still, you know, give you the shirt off their back and really nice. You know, right. there's a lot of people like that where we from. And they'll sit up and crack jokes. Like a lot of people don't even understand us from Memphis a lot because they, you know, they'll be like, we seem like assholes because we'll crack jokes and this and that. But we don't mean it's nothing offensive by it. We just crack jokes. That's how Memphis do. We we love to check. We'll be like, like, oh no, like small shirt and like <laughs> we just <laughs> we just I always crack jokes on each other, but it's nothing offensive. We just you walk in the suit, you walk in the room, all your homeboys gonna start checking you. They gonna look you up and down and be like, dirty shoes at nigga, get out of here, nigga. You know, we just joke like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So people for the longest didn't know how to approach us. It's still artists out here today be telling my age, I'm like, I wanna do a feature with Paul, man, but he seems mean and he seems us. But then once people get to know me, they'll be like, you know, he's not a mean dude. He just just frowning on a picture or whatever, this and that. But like in you know, in in reality, I'm a Cool laid back dude, man. Yeah. Super laid back. I was lucky. I got. I got. I. I got to. It, I got to have that experience as a fan, and then we got to make music together. Uh, and uh, that's like that's the kind of experience you want to have, you know? Because we started our band in '96. We really got on in 2000, 2001. So we were like the those first five, six, seven years. We were just like fans. Of, like all the music we grew up on. We grew up on. on a lot of hip hop. I don't think that's like the model we used in a lot of building our businesses was mm-hmm. uh, our favorite artists. We're just following them. That's the same thing I did. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, Ma Master P was one of my biggest heroes. Yeah, us too. I remember reading articles in those first, in those early No Limit days of how he did it. And it was such a revolutionary idea to me. We were in Maryland. And before the before you had access to social media, the internet, you would just read magazines or read interviews. Yeah, Source and, and all that. Yeah. yeah. And um before I started understanding how other other people did it, music was just a big mystery to me. Like how how do you become an artist? Yeah. How do you how do you get signed? Yeah. Uh but I remember reading these articles uh and I remember Master P and No Limit, and I just thought. I would love to do that one day. I'd love yeah. to be able to, but also just kind of the hustle you have to have, the the work ethic you have to have, the belief in yourself, the confidence. Because yeah. I didn't have a ton of that, and I gained it over time. And I, and it was partly, I think, the experience I got to have meeting other artists yeah. who fucked with my music. Mm -hmm. And over time, it just gave me, I think, gave us all the confidence to do all the things we're doing now. Mm -hmm. There's no way we would be where we're at today if we hadn't gone through our artist career. And met so many other cool artists yeah. that encouraged us. Yeah. We was out at the same time as Master P. He was bigger than us, obviously. But uh, we all came out around the same time, early 90s. <clears throat> and I used to um, I used to look at Master P's, you know, his the way he was doing his uh his releases and his whole work ethic and uh and man, a lot of people don't know this, but Master P is easily the most powerful rapper of all times. Now, it don't seem like that because, you know, he didn't have a lot of big songs on radio. He had big songs on the radio, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But he didn't have, like, big, big songs on the radio, like, you know, like a Will Smith or something like that or whatever. But, um, man, he was the most powerful dude in hip-hop history, and I'm going to tell you why. I saw all this with my own ass. Master P is the only... I would actually say he's one. He's probably the most, you know, was in his in his days was the most powerful musician ever in uh, history because Master P did something that nobody ever did. Master P, well, it was so funny, man. We used to sit up and watch this shit in the magazines. So, except for instance, like you know, he was bringing out music like every month or whatever. Yep. Master P would find somebody and turn them into the uh, uh, artist. And turn them into a star. A star. He would put that little No Limit chain yep. on them, a Rolex watch, a suit, he and wrote boom, the put book. An album, gold, platinum, this and that. But this is how he killed it. This is what made him so powerful. Except for instance, if some other rapper, you know, just Joe Blow or whatever, put a source ad in there, which dubbed back, we used to do source ads. Those ads were $6,000 a page. Yep. So somebody would put in there, and if you did the double one, you know, it's $12,000. You had the full spread. Somebody would put in there a release. Joe Blow, new album, May 15th. Master P will wait till, like, May 1st <laughs> or the end of fucking April and be like, new so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so album, May 15th. Then next thing you know, Joe Blow would be like, new album, June 15th. He would, people would actually change their release dates because they didn't want to come out the same day as a No Limit artist did. Yeah, Nobody never did that. Nobody else in history made people do that. I mean, you know, you still don't nobody want to come out with a Jay-Z, the day of Jay-Z or Eminem coming There's out. There's always a, a, exceptions to everything. I do think he is one of those, those pioneers that built models that ended up staying for a long time and models that uh, lots of people followed. Yeah. And I was one of them. Yeah. I was definitely one of them. I was a fan uh, as a kid. 
and and then uh it informed a lot of my you know like my version of it was different but mm -hmm. uh definitely it informed a lot my education i think was artists that i was reading articles about and how they did it and that's how i formed my whole i think that's how we made all of our plans yeah and thank what god with us, we couldn't even, you know, like like I said, we came out, we started in the early 90s, so it wasn't even really, I didn't even really read magazines to, you know, to see right. other guys' plans. I just watched it. So, like, I would watch, like, Easy e and, you know, with uh, Ruthless Records, and I would watch Lil' J, uh, J Prince with, uh, you know, uh, Rap-A-Lot Records. Yep. And I would see how they was doing everything. And, and then I just made our label, Hypnotized Minds, do basically the same. What a great- uh, They always had the Ruthless Records Presents. Yep. Or Rap -A -Lot Records Presents. And says, so I would put Hypnotized Minds Presents, Project Pat, blah, 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 whatever. You know, three smiles, whatever. Crazy. Yeah. And it still works it's today. Crazy. It's crazy for me, though, to think about what you guys, you were there. You guys were there for all of it. You got to see- the, that that uh that southern hip hop movement yeah you were there you were you were right there yeah, yeah. Up, and right when up. it was heating up we was... I mean you guys were all were a part of it you guys were it yeah all the things you guys got to just witness and be a part of and be in the middle of it's crazy to me because I was literally just a fan I wasn't there I wasn't in the middle of it I was listening to it yeah but uh that's crazy to think about. Yeah, where y'all was from, like, I used to look at SoundScan back in the day when they had SoundScan. SoundScan was so cool. Yeah. And uh, I used to see that we sold, uh, we were selling a lot of records in the D.C., Maryland, DMV area. Yes, big time. Yeah, big time. And I was like, damn. And I was like, I wonder who listening to us over there. We were. And it was you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. DMV is cool, man. Yeah, I still do shows there yeah. all the time. It's a it's good people, you know. We have all these little pockets, yeah. And you, it's different in other places. You go Baltimore is totally different from DC. Yeah, and I just left Baltimore literally last week. I was there for Fourth of July. Yeah, that was the last time I was there. I was yeah, I was there last like a couple of weeks ago, and then I was there like no, like a week ago, and then I was there in uh, December last year, November December. But yeah, I, I go. To, I probably try to go to Baltimore twice a a year because they love us out there. Yeah, and then them, them was gangsta as hell. Yeah, yeah, they gangsta as hell. It's 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 a funny place, man. I mean, it's it's kind of southern in some ways, but not. Yeah, because y'all right on the borderline of the yeah. north and the south. Yeah, like Virginia, like they, you don't know if they're from the north or they're from the south. Yeah, and that's how I think uh, Timberland sound was so unique. It was like the tempos of ours in the South, but it had like, you know, like hints of up North in it. It kind of goes from like Virginia Beach all the way, if it stretches to like Baltimore, that whole Maryland, Virginia, and then Virginia Beach is kind of like this little little pocket off little further South, you know? But there's so much talent too, and, and artists that come out of, all those places. Yeah, Chris Brown. Uh, yeah. Trey Songs. And, uh, Genuine, right? Yeah. Yeah, Genuine was from PG. Uh, Brandy. Uh, Mario. Yeah. Um, uh, was it Maya from Oda? Maya. Man, Maya's still hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, beautiful. Looks same. She ain't even age. She doesn't age. Yeah, she's oh, yeah. yeah oh, she yeah. is. Um, there's, and it's it, it's an interesting place. Like, I guess it's probably the same in Memphis. When you meet someone from Memphis, you take a lot of pride. And like, we, I'm always happy when I see an artist come out of any Virginia, Maryland, DC. I'm yeah. always always supportive. Yeah, me too, man. And Memphis got a lot of hot ones now, man. When you guys started, what what was Memphis like music wise? It was on. It was Memphis music wise. Nah, I ain't gonna talk about rap. It was hot. I just rap then, but music wise, Memphis was always hot. As you know, we had Elvis Presley, BB mm -hmm. King, Isaac Hayes, man, Barcase. You could you could go staple singers. You could go for days. Yep. Like a lot of stuff you hear on the radio now is from uh, is from uh Memphis. Yeah. You know, like like speaking of Virginia, Missy Elliott that. I can't stand the rain. Yep, that's Memphis. Yeah, that came from Memphis, and it's a uh, it's a hot song on the radio right now. It got uh, uh, it got that walk on by. It got that looped all the way through it. It's a it's a female artist. It's on fire right now. That's Isaac Hayes. That's Memphis. You know, so yeah, Memphis been killing it. You know, musically forever, cause you know it's like they kind of considered it the home of it is the home of blues. Yeah, kind of considered the home of rock and roll. It's not, you know, not really. I think that's like Ohio or something, right? Cleveland or some kind of rock and roll. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's where the 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 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think it's in. No, it is. It's in Ohio. Ohio, but for me, it feels like the the history of music. When I think of it, I think of Memphis, Nashville. Yeah, I think of like where it was born is down south with yeah. the guitar, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so when I think of Memphis, I do think of all that old music. But when did uh, when did hip hop hip hop stop popping in late eighties? But it got hot, hot early nineties. Right, early nineties, like nineteen ninety, it was on fire. And then it, it haven't stopped since. That's when it really started blowing up. And that's when we came out. But it was even guys before us, like my guy Spanish Fly. I talked to him all the time. We got the same birthday. But he was like the pioneer of uh, Memphis hip-hop, Memphis rap. So, yeah, ninth, late 80s was on fire. But 1990, it started getting crazy. Yeah. Then it started going from there. And we met through J.E., yeah, yeah, yeah. I just thought of that St. Yeah. Louis. Yeah, was also just another. Like, is he still out here? Or did he move back? He, he moved, moved back. back. Yeah, I remember him moving back. He sent me yeah. a picture of him on the lake in a boat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the, I think, one of the most talented producers. That dude I've was ever. hard, man. That guy was good. All, he did all I mean, that Nelly, all the Nelly stuff, man. Just uh, timeless classic. The you know Jay is just yeah one of those. One of a kind, special talents. Yeah, too talented for his own good, probably. Yeah, that was my guy, man. Yeah, we had some good times. Yeah, so I'm gonna have to look him up when I get home. I talked to him on Twitter, like yeah, about, yeah, about ten Yo. years ago. Yeah, yeah, he's he's in St. Louis. Your solo stuff's doing really good. Yeah, it is. It is, man. Thank God. Yeah, millions of Spotify listeners already. I feel like yeah, yeah. You, I feel like it. it it's. You're just starting. You're. I feel like you're just getting started, and you already have millions of. Yeah, it it is just getting started because I really just started focusing on it. Like right. I always did, you know, like a 
tape here, tape there. Right. But I when I when I was starting to get when I was starting to get hot, you know, some you know, like the uh like I brought out an album in two thousand nine called Skeleton that did really, really good. And then the mixtape scene kicked in in 2010, 2009, right. 2010-ish. They started going crazy with the mixtapes. And then I just stopped. You know, I just stopped. I was like, I didn't really understand giving away free music. Yeah. You know, I didn't really understand that. The funny part about it is I spent Christmas over uh, Quincy Jones' house once. Quincy Jones like the uncle. Legendary. Yeah, legendary. And I, I was over him. Quincy Jones' house for Christmas. I think it was 2006, 2007. And Quincy Jones was like, he was like, he was like, uh, here's soon, we're going to be giving away music. I'm like, really? <laughs> yep. Shit. He always he, knows. He, he knows. What's coming. He called it. He called it. So, man, uh, um, fucking come 2000, like a year or two later, 2008, 2009, the mixtape scene ain't got hot, and I was just like, nah, I couldn't do it. You know, a lot of people did it, and they blew them up, like Walker Flocker, you know, a lot of guys did it. I, I couldn't do it. I think at the time it was an avenue not only for releasing music and getting around a lot of the red tape. Getting around all the red tape. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was putting it yeah, nicely. Just being nice about it. Yeah. So I don't have to pay anybody. I don't have to worry about splits. I don't yeah. have to. Now it would never work because in order to upload those songs to the platforms, um, you have to enter in all that information. Yeah. It's got to be sorted out. If yeah. not, it won't last long. Yeah, It'd be pulled down and whatever. Man. So it was a wild time. It was like a wild man, west. It was a wild west, man. People <laughs> was just no using one was getting paid. Edit. Nobody was getting paid. Not even the person that was doing it. And I was like, man, I'm not gonna sit up here and bring out all these free songs, four and five mixtapes a year with thirty songs. I'm like, no, I couldn't do it. But you also, I think you're you're a producer. I think there's something about you that. You understand those guys that are making those those tracks and writing those songs. And look, we can't go back and change any of it, but we know what that means yeah. to these producers. A lot of times it's studio sessions and it's a song that wasn't good enough to go to an album or whatever. Yeah. So they're like, let's put a mixtape together and we'll just use all this stuff. Yeah. And like we we understand as cool as that can be to the fans and it, it ups the artist. And some of the producers can make a name just being on the mixtape. So that's an opportunity. Yeah. But we also know what that means when they're not getting really get get and some of the artists probably took care of the producers. I'm not saying that it was all of them. Uh -huh. But we but yes, the mixtape era was messy and yeah. lots of people didn't get yeah, recognition was, or, or or pay. It was crazy. Yeah. So I couldn't do that. So I agree with you on that. Yeah. And by this time, you know, we was we was super, super successful. Yeah. We won uh, the the Oscar in two thousand six. So you know, I'm sitting in this big house. You know, I got all these paid for properties and I got tons of money. I'm like, man, I just sit up here and chill till this yeah. shit blow over. Smart. Yeah. And that's what I did. W wisdom. Yeah. That's what I did. I brought out like two mixtapes and then, and I even still put those out for sale. Right. Yeah. I made my own beats on them and shit. So, you know, I put them out for sale. So then once all of that came out, that started to die out. Then um, I started getting calls to produce other people. You know, so I produced a record for Drake and Jay-Z, me and my artist T.Y. for Drake and Jay-Z. And then, you know, we went Trippy Red and, you know, Lil Baby and all these guys. And that lasted for years. Still doing that. But then, you know, within like producer. the- 
Huh? You're a good producer. Yeah. But then with like the last couple of years, you know, my fan style, they was like, oh, yeah, we like this that you made for that person, but we want to hear you do some more stuff. We want to hear you bring out another album. So I started, you know, I started back focusing on me as a solo artist. And overnight, you know, within like two years, year and a half or whatever, overnight, I went from like on my solo stuff, not including Three Six Mafia, Project right. Pattern, that. On my solo stuff, I went from like, a hundred, a hundred and fifty thousand monthly listeners on Spotify to three million. Yep. Yeah, overnight, and I was like, man, you know, this is what I'm talking about. So now, you know, I just try to keep it around there, two point six, you know, two point eight, somewhere around there, and then I'm just doing all this independent myself. You know, like I, I don't Smart. even really put a lot of money behind. I send a few tweets out, a few Instagram posts, and then I look at major artists. And there'd be some major artists out here with 500,000 monthly listeners. Yeah. Or a million or 900. Or like a really, really good one might have like three, uh, three, four million. And I'm like, damn, I'm beating or, or keeping up with major artists with no money behind me. There's a ton of value in just being you. So where someone else would have to spend money to get where you're at, you've earned that. Because mm -hmm. you did spend money. Yeah. Back there. Yeah, back there. Right? Yeah, tons. It's like real estate. <laughs> yeah. It's like it grows. The value of us grows over time if mm -hmm. we stay in the market. Mm -hmm. What artists do all the time out of fear is they change directions and they stop yeah. investing in that thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'll guarantee you, you'll be at 5 million before you know it if yeah. you keep releasing. Yeah, I am. Because you do a certain quality of music and your brand is good. So if your brand was whack or damaged or, you know, uh, it, there's something about our, I, I think anyways, about our brand, if we don't fuck it up and cheapen it and give it away to people because mm -hmm. we're scared or they convince us they can make it better than we can. No one can make our brand better than we can. Yeah, of course. And that's what we have to be is just ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's where we go off track sometimes is when we... We get spun around in this crazy business, and then we stop listening to our inner guidance system mm -hmm. and our gut, and uh, and make decisions that aren't right for our brand. Yeah, and we've all probably had those little moments. Just yeah, yeah. they weren't big enough to damage the brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We caught ourselves quick enough. Yeah, to go. No, I'm not doing that again. That yeah, was yeah, yeah. That was <laughs> <laughs> that was a one-off. <laughs> yeah, boy, we had those. Yeah, well, come on, Project Pat, man. He he got on he got on us one time. Like Three Six Mafia was always known for this bass that I like handmade myself. This yeah. long bass, like yep, you could hear it. It would hold forever. Yeah, and um, when Cash Money started getting hot, we was you know we was out uh, uh before Cash Money, but we did songs together like '97. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah, and uh. Cash Money was doing, you know, Manny Fresh would get on that SV12 and sit the knobs. You could sit the knobs on the SV12, honey. You go, and he was doing all that crazy shit with the 808s. And I was like, man, I'm going to do this. And then we started, we made like a whole album like that. Thank God the album was jamming. Yeah. It's called Teddy Club of Thugs. It was jamming and it did good, you know, it sold millions of copies. But Project Pat pulled me to the side. He's like, look, man, you got to stop using all these 808s. You gotta start using like that ain't child sound. Like you gotta go back to that long bass, follow that long bass, you know. Who's your other, you know, your favorite producers over the years? Like a guy like Manny Fresh or a guy who are the producers you've either worked with or just that you love that you think it inspired you at least a little. Who who would you say like some of your favorite guys are? Man, most of my favorite guys are uh 
uh, all the older guys. Right. You know, like Dr. Dre and Yellow. Yep. And uh, Hank Shockley and all those guys. And, you know, the guys that are rapping like Head Ready Red and all those dudes. I really grew up on the old school dudes. Yeah. Because of that mistake with Manny Fresh. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to Manny Fresh, you know, like. Yeah. I just I just made myself never focus on listening to other producers no right, more. Because right. if you do that, you can lose track of your own sound. Yeah. So I didn't listen to the old dudes, you know. I mean the new dudes, you know. I I listen here and there just to stay updated. Right. You got to see what's know. going on. Yeah. You got to stay updated. You don't want to yeah. sound like you're still in the '80s. I got my kids for that. They're teenagers, so they they play everything for me. Yeah, yeah. It's good to have. Yeah. So I I I, I listen here and there, you know. When I'm riding, I, I play. I play some stuff, you know what I'm saying, but but other than that, I don't I don't listen too hard. I don't listen too hard. I might hear like, oh, that's a cool choppy there right there. That's yeah. a cool edit, but I don't focus too much more on that, yeah. you know, because of that's that. smart. And I just you know just stick to my own sound and like what you were just saying about artists that'll get off track and you know and mess up their brand or whatever. When when Three Six Mafia sound went away, like in uh, 2000. 10-ish when people was on to like more gimmicky rap and it wasn't about the crunk rap and all that. Yep. You know, I still stuck to our same sound, the dark rap, this and that. You know what I'm saying? And I would put out stuff, some of it would sell, some of it wouldn't. You know, and uh, but I still just stuck to the sound because you always gotta, you know, think about your core fans. You're nothing without the core fans. These new fans, you get a new sound and you get the new fans because of that new sound, these fuckers will leave you in a heartbeat. You know what I'm saying? So stick you stick to your core sound. You can have some album cuts on there with the new sound or little blends of it and what you're doing, even in a single, but uh stick to the core sound. And I stuck to that. And all that shit that I brought out that didn't sell is getting resampled and 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 going up in sales now. It's the value of the of the legacy and the brand. It 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 only shows itself over time. Yeah. But you have to see it all the way through. So you can't measure the success of your brand by every single song's success. Yeah. It's got to be the catalog. Yeah. And you a, a great career is is moments over decades. But it's number one is don't fuck the brand up. It's to me even with Good Charlotte, right? We're different, but we got together we were in high school. We look at that as this like classic car that we don't let anyone fuck with. Yeah. And when we take it out, everybody goes, that's a fucking cool car. Yeah. And maybe it's only two shows or maybe it's 20 shows, whatever it is, we control who can be around it because we don't want anyone scratching it. We don't want letting anyone else drive it. Mm -hmm. And we feel like we're protecting the legacy versus trying to keep up with any band of the, of the moment. By the way, we want that band to have their success. We don't want to have their success. Mm -hmm. We want to have our legacy, and uh, it's going to be whatever it's going to be. Only time will tell what the legacy is going to be. But I think if we protect it, it'll be positive versus yeah. watering it down and making it negative. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't do that. And when you think about like hypnotized minds, the legacy in that brand, and you think 3-6 Mafia, the brand still stands today. Yeah, as a giant, iconic brand, mm -hmm. and if you, you you could at any time you want, you could put something out, and it will be respected because the brand has lasted and stood mm -hmm. the test of time. You never 
uh, yeah, to me, I, from as a fan, you never watered it down. You guys always stayed yourself. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's like I guess it comes down to just being ourselves. Yeah. And and I think having some class. Yeah. You know, having good manners. Yeah. And staying true to yourself. Yeah. Because the the fans, man, the fans are smarter than people realize, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they getting soup they getting smarter now. Yeah. With you know, with social media and that technology, these fuckers will look at what you post, they'll look dead in your ass and tell if you bullshitting or yeah. not. Yeah, like they 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 know, like they they'll tell you they they come in on there too and be like, man, come on, man, stop doing this, man. This you ain't get you. shut down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you live in a world where everybody's afraid of that too. Yeah, they, they and sometimes you can you can kind of like live through that initial moment and something can, but there's whole brands running their whole marketing on some kid in the middle of nowhere could post something that's funny shitting on that brand and then it picks up steam mm-hmm. and the whole campaign's dead because mm-hmm. some kid on the internet said mm-hmm. some funny shit yeah so funny man. it's crazy how powerful that is yeah and you have to find the balance of how much you listen to it but it's a real thing yeah it is it's crazy you're playing with jelly roll yeah i'm looking forward to that man i love jelly roll yeah he's the man he's a cool dude yeah he really i don't cool. know him personally yeah, I'm just a fan of his. I like yeah, music. we 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 basically discovered Jelly Roll. Well, our artist Lil White discovered Jelly Roll back in like 2009. Yeah, and brought Jelly Roll to us, and we brought out a project with Jelly Roll, Lil White, and uh, another guy named VP. Rest in peace. It was called Snow S N O. And man, Jelly Roll, man, he was writing so many hard hooks on there and killing it. He's talented, like, man. This dude is hard, man. And yeah. Me and him, me and him end up getting really close, and we've been close ever since then. You know, he seems like a cool dude, like that. Yeah, he's really cool. Yeah, he's really cool. And now uh, he brought us on this tour. This is gonna be our first country tour, man. I'm looking forward to it. I never performed in front of a, a country audience outside of you know people that I know that's country from the south. But <laughs> I think his audience is that new country audience. Yeah, it is. You know, yeah, because he come from hip hop. Yeah, and I think that the real country audience listens to hip hop. They listen to country. Yeah. They they uh they want different things at the shows. It's it's uh not to say I know the old country audience. I don't really know the old country audience. Yeah. Um I know, I mean I like country music, so I definitely have I know some country artists and and uh I'm friends with Luke Combs. I love Luke. Luke's a cool dude. And I've been to a bunch of his shows. It's to me, it's this new country audience. They want to hear everything. Yeah, yeah, they do. And so I think it's it's a it's a good I think it's a good look. I think it's cool. Nah, super good look, man. Yeah. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be great. It's gonna be fun, you know, like because I, I, I hang out with a lot of country artists too. Like I'm really good good friends with Hardy. Yeah. You know, and um and uh, Morgan Wallen, we're not good friends, but we we like we we really cool. Yeah, I saw Morgan Wallen one day. I was in uh I was in uh Cali in um on vacation. I was hanging at this spot that I like to go to, and uh secret spot, secret spot. Okay, I like that. I'm talking. About it's so secret. Yeah, that when I was walking to the the beach, I saw two Cadillac trucks on rims, like twenty fours or something. I'm like, what? Like it might not be no fucking rappers here. <laughs> no, not a secret anymore. Yeah, so yeah. I see two uh 
two SUVs parked directly behind uh, behind each other. So I knew they was there together. They looked exactly alike. And I was like, man, don't let me walk in here. And there's some fucking rappers in this motherfucker. Like, this I love my, rappers. Yeah. But this ain't the place that I want to hang with rappers at. Right. You know what I'm saying? This is a family spot. I want to hang with anybody here. Yeah, I don't want to hang with nobody. Yeah. So I walk in there. I look around. I don't see no rappers. And then next thing I know, I see uh, one tall black dude who I knew. And like four white guys walk in with him. And I look, and one of them was Morgan Wallen. Yeah. <laughs> and then... And he was like, and it was my first time meeting. I'm like, Morgan? And he's like, yeah. And then my guy, the, the, the tall guy who I knew, he used to work for Justin Timberlake. The tall guy who I knew, he's like, Morgan, tell him what you're listening to in the car right now. And he's like, three, six, five, and I'm like, really? <laughs> and that was so cool. And yeah, when he went out to the truck, that's what he was playing. He was, it was him in those two trucks. Yeah. He, they pulled up like rappers. Crazy, yeah. Yeah. That's, the, that's it. Yeah, it's a new country. It's a new country, man. They have a they they're they're rolling deep too. Yeah, baseball caps, yeah. necklaces, yeah, chains, chains, you know, all that shit. I but that that just to me it just goes back to the especially in the South, uh, but all over the world, the impact that you guys had, yeah, and that hip hop has had, yeah, it's all of us. Yeah, it's fun hanging out with rappers, though. As long as you don't hang around with the wrong one, you get yourself in trouble. Yeah. I've done that. Went to jail. Yeah, I think I think it's it's uh, people in general, man. I think we when you get success and you have a lot, um, I've, I experienced it myself. Um, a lot of people come around. Yeah, oh, my God, yes. And that's part of the experience of, of – it's part of the – the cautionary tales we always hear about, hear about drugs, you gotta watch out for that. You hear about the darker side of the business if, you run, if, you, if you're dealing with the wrong people, you gotta watch out for that. And then you gotta watch out for all these people that don't have their own goals, mm -hmm. their own dreams. Uh, or maybe they do have a, a, a delusion that they could be what you are and that you're gonna somehow make them that. And I think that all artists have to watch out for that. Uh, it could come in the form of other artists or wannabe artists it could come in the form of people from the past mm -hmm. right like you have to know when someone's got to go yeah they can't be around because they're, they're a liability yeah uh because they aren't holding what you work so hard for with as much uh care and protection as you are yeah because uh, it can all go away yeah in a second with one bad night yeah exactly yeah. one bad decision and it could be from someone that is just there yeah. and they shouldn't have never been in the room. Most of the time it's like that. Most of the time. Yeah. Because there's, it's, it's. The it, entourage. Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. That's why when, uh, when, when I be, when I go do my shows, like the, the promoter asked me, he'd be like, how many people travel? And I tell him, you're like, really? That's it? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Keep Roll it tight. Up. Yeah. I'm just having, I'm just having. The mistake that a lot of artists make is they have, and I mean, I used to do it. We, we all used we've to do all it. done it. We've all done it. You gotta yeah. do. You gotta go through it. Yeah. To know you don't need to do it. Yeah. Having the people around that don't mean shit. Do you ever see a new artist that has that, and you go, "Man, I wish someone would tell him he doesn't need it. Need need to do that." Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got a friend of mine as an artist that I wish I could tell him that, but I just don't know how to tell him. But it's hard. Yeah, it's hard because. It, when they're in the middle of that hurricane, that tornado, they think they need more than they do because uh, they, they're having trouble, I think, processing 
that level of success when you get there, especially those, it, it's really like those first few years when the, when the fame or the money comes in in a wave and then it just keeps hitting you. I think what no one tells people is like, you can continue to keep that up, but there are moments where it, the waves aren't as big. It's ebbs and flows, right? Mm -hmm. You have a hot record, a great few years, you go here, and then you got to kind of build back up to here. Mm -hmm. And on that first wave, I think people think it's never going to stop coming and I need all this stuff around me, maybe to feel safe, maybe to feel protected, maybe. Yeah, a lot of them do it to feel safe. You know, well, like. It actually makes them less safe. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah, it makes them less safe. Like, I've seen some artists that have guys with them that's, you know, the artists would be cool, but then the guys would be, you know, like, you know, like talking crap to girls mm. and all that. Flyability. Yeah, that's a super liability. Like, oh, bitch, you don't want to give me your number? Get out of here, ho. I'm like, man, you cannot be talking to these girls like that, bro. You would get all of you motherfuckers in some trouble. Like, mm -hmm. you can't have people like that around you. If you have somebody in your crew that's doing that, that's the first one you get rid of. Yep. That's the first one you get rid of. But, you know, with me, like, I don't have those issues because if you're not physically doing something, I learned this from traveling and touring a lot with Insane Clown Posse. When that bus stopped, everybody knew what to go do. Mm. This person went and got the makeup together. This person washed the outfits. This person started taking barrels to the stage. This person started doing that. And like everybody had, with Insane Clown Posse, everybody had a few jobs. Right. Like the same people that was that's doing like, you know, like whatever the hell, doing something else on the show. I mean, uh, you know, preparing the show. They also would go backstage and throw on a clown mask and outfit right quick and run out on stage and be a part of the show. Right. Help spray the Fago and then go right back to the other job. The tour manager was also the production manager. Yeah. The sound guy was also, you know, everybody had like two or three jobs. Yeah, a few hats, man. And yeah. like, I keep people with me that everybody got a job. I keep them in them, you know, like the, the road manager, the camera guy, the bodyguard. That's it. You know, like I have friends that have come like, oh, yeah, you in Virginia, I'm going to pull up, come there, this and that. But, you know, they're not traveling with me. I ain't having nobody travel with me just to be just to be there, man. Hell no. I want to talk about the 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 next, like, two, three years for you. What does that look like? Man, just um, bringing out. So I've been on the road here lately. I've been sticking to my schedule. Well, this tour that I just came off of, I've just been gone for like a month. It, it, Which it, tour was that? It's uh, it was a it was a solo tour I did okay. called Mafia Lick. It was a solo tour, so that but but up to that I was bringing out a new song every three weeks. Yeah, and I've been keeping that up here. I always wanted to set that schedule, but here lately I, I this whole year I've been doing it. Probably about a year I've been doing it, maybe a little less than a year. And I got thrown off when I went on this tour, but as soon as I got home uh, this past Monday, I knocked two songs out immediately just get back on that schedule. So I want to just keep focusing more on my uh, solo career and obviously, you know, other things, you know, people I produce and whatnot, but just more on uh, on my on my solo career and and some other stuff, you know. We opened up a restaurant and, yeah, just focusing on all the, the new stuff, you know, just Paul, man, just focusing on Paul. How'd you meet Quincy? Quincy Jones? Yeah. Um, I mean, we had the same uh, lady, man, rest in peace, Nancy. Nancy Stern. Mm. She just passed away. She uh, 
she she administrated uh, Quincy's Publishing all the way up to the day she died. Wow. Quincy's Publishing, and she introduced. She used to do ours till we went to Bug and then went to BMG. But she uh she I met Quincy through him. What an amazing guy! Yeah, man, it's bad. I mean, you ever been in his house? Yes. Jesus Christ. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He showed you the video of how he built it? No. He usually showed it to everybody when you come over his house. You I did not the movie see that video. Room, and he literally set a camera in the dirt. And they got it like sped up. Yeah. So you see all these bugs running by. And it's like five years of, of snow, all kind of crazy shit going crazy. on. You just see this big old huge $90 million house going on. So they up. did like a time lapse. Yeah. That's insane. Insane for years. I've never met anyone like uh I'll say Quincy and and Lionel. Yeah. Two guys I've never met anyone in my life. I've never met anyone like them. Yeah. Uh just so legendary. You can't even comprehend the 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 achievements that they have and and those the influence that those what they've created in the world. We couldn't even quantify like how influential the artistic work is, yeah. But to, then to be able to to experience them a, a, as a human, yeah. how generous they are, how nice they are, how humble. I don't know. Quincy will share. He'll just tell stories, and um, I I I really really uh, admire him, and I'm, I'm always in awe when I, whenever I've gotten to be around him. I, I've just Qu Quincy still send me Christmas gifts every year. That sounds like that. It sounds like it. Yeah, man. Like he's that, that guy. Man, he's man. cool. Yeah, he's so cool, man. But I'm going to tell you a funny story about Quincy. Just on the way over here, when I was exiting off the highway, coming down coming down here, I was listening to the the Sinatra channel yep. on uh, XM. And he was, playing, uh, he was playing a song, and I heard them say in the back, they said Quincy Jones' name, like orchestrated by Quincy Jones or something. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. I knew he came from jazz. Like, a lot of people don't know that he was doing jazz oh, he before was he was like doing Sinatra's Michael guy. Jackson. He was Sinatra's guy. I did not know that. Oh, my God. You've got, have you, you've got to watch the documentary. I haven't watched it. I need uh, to watch it. Rashida, I think Rashida and Karada, like, put it together. They did an incredible job. It's one of the best documentaries I've seen, and it really does, like, capture the the scope of his of his life and his work and I'm then watching that tonight also the 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 side of him as a man and watching what he's gone through in his life it's incredible man it blew my mind it's one of a kind he's one of one i mean it's just crazy yeah he was telling me how he told me this over his house when he was showing me all his plaques he, was, he told me how much money he got paid up front for like the Unreal. thriller album Unreal. and all that it was like a small amount like 25 grand or yeah. something Turned into like I don't know two hundred fifty million or more, but he was like he was like you know they didn't trust me at first because I was a jazz producer they didn't trust me to make a an album like this. One of the best one of the one of the one of the greatest memories I have and moments in my life uh, that uh, it's very hard to explain. But uh, my wedding, I got married. We had our wedding at my father in law at Lionel's house, mm -hmm. and. It was it, it it wasn't that big. It was like 150. Oh people. yeah, I know one person that wasn't there. Keep going. And the end of the night, everything shut down. So it didn't go all night long. It did. All it was like 3 a.m. Right. That's pretty all night long. Yeah, they're they're cleaning up. They're taking everyone's left. They're taking everything apart. Mm -hmm. 
I'm sitting with between Lionel and Quincy. We were the last Damn. three men standing. Wow, you took a picture that I hope. No, no, you didn't. Maybe we never take. Photographer pictures we do was gone, but it was it it was one of the most kind of. Uh, Lionel's an amazing father-in-law. He there couldn't be a better dad. I can imagine. Um, but that moment was crazy. I was sitting there with we were the last three guys, and I was like, of yeah. course it's Lionel and Quincy. They shut this down with me. It was uh, incredible. Of course, I remember a lot of things about my wedding, but that in particular was yeah. was pretty uh, crazy and surreal and special. Yeah, that's a moment. A real like man's moment. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Also, Rev Run married married us, so I thought that was. I cool. did. That's really cool. Yeah. Oh wow! Like we need it. We need it. We need a preacher. We, let's get a cool one. Rev Run's a man. Yeah, he was cool. Yeah, he really cool. He's still doing it. Yeah. Vegas residency. Yep. I ain't brought out an album since probably 83. Doesn't need to. Don't need to. Classic. <laughs> Just play the hits, play yeah. classics. Yeah. Don't have to. When you got those, the, but that's the thing too. When you look at your catalog, you go, I'm going to make more music and you're likely going to continue to make hits, participate in helping other artists make hits. But the catalog, it stands the test of time. Yeah. You don't have to. That's all icing. Yeah. It was all the hard work over the decades of what you did that allow you I think the 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 legacy is it, it's so hard to achieve. It's what I think every artist you could talk to artists with big hits right now and they want what you have which is and that only comes in to, with time and sticking to it and mm -hmm. sticking to your guns and keep protecting the brand, protecting the legacy and all the hits you're going to have icing it's the legacy. It's the great songs. Mm -hmm. It's 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 what got you the Oscar. It's it, it's what made Three Six Mafia what it is today. It's all those years of work, all the work people didn't see, all passing out the flyers, putting in the hours, uh, and you know every artist hopes for that, but it can't have it if you if you don't last through the decades mm -hmm. and stay out of all the shit. Yeah, it was a struggle, man. It was a struggle. I remember days and tons of days with me and Juice slipping the same bed. Yeah. Don't take that the wrong way. No. But it was, do, <laughs> we would do a concert. They'd be like, you oh, man, we we won our first big concert. No, our first big concert outside of Memphis, outside of Tennessee period, was in Atlanta. And they was like, look, we're going to give y'all one room. <laughs> That's like, it. Dude. And it was like a crew of us. You know, back in those days, you were old deep. It was yeah. like 14 of us. They said, we're giving you one room and uh, this minute, this much money, 500 bucks or whatever it was. We drove down there, 100 cars of us. We were so happy. The whole hood came. Everybody came. And I was like, look, dude, we got one room. And we had a rule. Like, whoever slept in the bed, which is, you know, me and Juice and the lead guys would get the bed, obviously. But whoever slept in the bed couldn't hide the blankets or the sheets. <laughs> Everybody on the floor. Oh, everybody on the floor had Everybody to have blankets and we sheets. We did the same thing. Man, those motherfuckers in the tub sleeping. Because no, no, <laughs> that's the the misconception though is that is that you have all this money when you're starting out, you don't have anything, and you're trying to get it. And when you're going on your first tours, you don't get paid. Yeah. And so we were in motels sharing. People were on the floor. Shit was disgusting. Yeah. It was, but we were we were so excited. <laughs> To be there, opening for so and so, or doing whatever, we would sleep wherever. We sleep in the van. So yeah. We get one or two motel rooms for ten guys. The, the second show they in Atlanta, work. they gave us two hotel rooms. Yeah, and then when you said discussion, oh my god, my boy get had Chris, man. You know, we was we were just celebrating. We were celebrating on the way down there. 
We was in, a, it was different cars, but the main main of us was in a six-passenger van. And get had Chris was sleeping in the back <laughs> on one of my other boy's shoulders. Let me imagine. <laughs> 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 threw up down it. I think it was getting uh, how Chris did that. Oh, he, he got threw up on somebody just threw up on somebody else's shoulder. We was packed disgusting. in this motherfucker. Disgusting. We were man, we di- pulled over, man. It was, it was all kind of we pulled over to the car wash. Those uh, little thank God was like driving through like Alabama. They had those little Yeah, those outdoor outdoor pull-in car pull washes. In, yeah. Man, that shit was a nightmare. Oh my God. But you know. No more of that. Now we go to places we don't want anyone else to know about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, those same dudes I'm hiding from them when I see them. Yeah. I used to sneak in the club, now I sneak out. Yeah, yeah. That, that's how we do. Yeah, that's it. Thanks for coming, dude. Man, thanks for having me, man. Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving, my house. All right. Serious. Serious. All right, dude. I'm going to be there. I might be there the night before. Count on it. Bring pie. <laughs> All right, brother. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Artist Friendly. If you really liked it, you can follow, like, subscribe to the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Amazon. We appreciate your support, and we'll see you next time. Bad times.